You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Well, hello, Scott. How are you doing? Good, good. Doing well. Doing well. For those that haven't come across you yet, tell our listeners who you are and why are we talking today? I'm Scott Knorr, and I'm, uh, for the last two and a half months, I'm the CEO of the American Pharmacists Association. Do you feel like you're a newbie still? Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, Mike, that you asked, because uh, I've always been incredibly active in professional organizations, but because uh, before I was here, I was uh, the chief pharmacy officer at Cleveland Clinic, and, and my whole world has been in the, the hospital world. I always paid my dues to APHA because I was a, thought that was important as the umbrella organization, but uh, this was not my professional home. You know, I get so much volunteer time at, at other organizations where I spent the majority of my time. So I'm learning a lot. You know, I'm learning about APHA uh, and uh, I've learned a lot in the last two and a half months, but there's a lot more to learn. When I talked to Michael Hope the other day, he was talking about a three-year term of the presidency, basically, maybe the vice presidency, presidency, and the year after do you get anything like that or, or do you just come in and they say, here you go, Scott? <laughs> yeah, well, it's more like, here you go. And, and I guess, Mike, the good news is the, you know, the, the fire hose water still tastes good. But no, you know, that, so that's the, like, so you have employed folks like me. Okay, I'm, I'm paid full time. This is my day job. And Michael's a volunteer and the president's. And that's pretty standard. It's three-year term. You're president-elect, president, immediate past president, kind of like the military, right? See one, do one, teach one. But me, it's like, here you go. And I did have some overlap. So Tom Menigan, uh, I'm the 13th uh, CEO uh, of APHA. We're going to make that lucky 13. Uh, yeah. You know, but Tom was here for, uh, you know, roughly a decade. I don't know exactly how long. And we had some overlap. You know, we had a month together uh, where, you know, it was going to be warm handoffs where Tom would connect me with all of his uh, contacts he's developed over the years. I, I'd call them lukewarm handoffs, you know, because uh, they're more like this, everything through Zoom meetings. So I had a month. And, you know, Tom's great. If I need, if I have questions, he can call, uh, I can call him and, and, you know, he's a, he's a good guy, but no, it's pretty much uh, here you go. And, you know, throw a pandemic on top of it. What does your day look like now? What time do you get up and how much time are you in front of the computer screen versus talking to people and things like that? Yeah. Uh, in front of the computer screen too much, but I, I, you know, uh, Mike, I work a lot. And, you know, when you start a new job, you you expect it and you got to put your time. I hope in a year, certainly in two years, I'm not working the kind of hours I am now. Uh, but, you know, I, I have to. This morning I got up at five and uh, fortunately we got a, a small fitness center at APHA headquarters and I got a little shower there. So I was up and probably by 530 I was in and worked out till about 545, took a shower till probably 615 and, uh, you know, Mike, I don't think you've ever been to APHA headquarters. I was there probably 20 years ago for a one-day marketing thing. The original sort of mar marble building, you know, was designed by the same architect, uh, Pope, that designed the uh, the Jefferson Memorial and the National Archives. Uh, yeah, so it's super cool. And you walk in, there's all marble and statues and... Uh, and, you know, just really uh, speaks to the, the history of the profession. The new building, which, again, don't they had a building there before. You know, they got torn down. They built a new one. John Gans, who was uh, three CEOs uh, ago, uh, you know, got that built, which you can imagine. It's the only privately owned building on the National Mall. 
and the red tape he had to go through to get it built. But it's, you know, so you got the, the dichotomy there. You got the old building, which is fantastic. Uh, and then you got the new building, which is pretty modern. And, you know, it's got, it's very open and natural light. But I tell you what, I'm the luckiest guy in the world for my view. So from my office, and we have a big patio. It's because there's a setback. The building's actually six stories, but there was a rule that you couldn't see the six story. So the, the five stories are there. Then my floor is set back, so you can't see it from the street. But because of that, we got a ginormous patio and we actually rent it out for weddings and we rent it out to the Chamber of Commerce for the 4th of July for the fireworks. But it, so I've, I've, I've got this beautiful patio and I swear to God, I look directly at the Lincoln Memorial straight out. I turn my head left and I look at the Washington Monument and I can see the Capitol. So every day, unless it's raining and I haven't had a winter here yet, I go out. I have a cup of coffee for five minutes, and I just appreciate, uh, you know, the the incredible opportunity I've got to do good. And I'm going to leverage this platform to the, my last breath and do absolutely everything I can advance pharmacy. And, you know, Mike, when I when I start thinking I'm having a bad day or I feel sorry for myself because I started a new job for, uh, during COVID, I look at the Lincoln Memorial and I'm like, you know what? Lincoln has a civil war. That was a lot worse. I look over there at the Washington Monument, I'm like, Okay, independence, war for independence. And, you know, it, it, it's not a good thing to have a pandemic, but it, it could be a lot worse. It, it really puts things in perspective. So I appreciate that of you every day. Uh, Joe Janella, the CFO, and I uh, go, we have a cup of coffee, we get energized, and, and we hit it hard. I'm going to cut the day down. I'm sure there's more. So let's say that you have three options you've got computer, you've got individual meeting, and then you've got meetings with more than one person. Are there a lot of different parts of the day too, or are those your main three things? Yeah, it's almost all meetings. I mean, almost, almost all I do every half hour of my life is scheduled. I've got, fortunately, a full-time administrative assistant, Kathy, who is a very good babysitter. Uh, she keeps me on track. She's the one that scheduled this interview. I could not, and I, she won't let me touch my calendar. She's like, for <laughs> God's sake, you will just screw it up. So anyone wants to be, I'm like, Okay, I CC Kathy because I will just I will mess it up. Uh, yeah, but I live my life in half hour increments, and most of them now are, are Zoom meetings or Zoom or Skype. With one person, or usually more than one. Boy, today I met with so all the the folks. I messed the acronym up. The the federal forces, you know, we have Army, Navy. So I met with all the chiefs of those uh, for a half hour. I met today with the entire board of BPS, our uh, board certification group, uh, you know, folks from all over the country. Uh, you know, a lot of it's with advocacy groups. We have a coalition of people. I do have one-on-ones. You know, I met with uh, uh, some executives from uh, uh, one of the buying groups. Uh, yesterday, I had a meeting with one. Of, I was really excited because it was the, I thought it was the commissioner for the Federal Trade Commission. Turns out there's six, but I got one, you know, so... <laughs> One of the commissioners, and we talked, we, you know, so, you, you know, it's advocacy is a big part. We talked about the problems with vertical integration because, you know, now the insurance companies own the PBMs, own the pharmacies, and now they're starting their own buying groups. And that crushes competitions. It, it should competitions, competition singular, uh, you know, absolutely a PBM should not be able to own pharmacies, uh, you know, and we talked about all those issues. So I'm constantly, I would love that more than break up the oligopolies. Buddy Carter is the only pharmacist in Congress. And, you know, and, and I had a PAC meeting with him, you know, so I, I, I don't know, there's some one-on-ones, a lot of groups. How would you have done all this without Zoom? Would you be bopping around to all these buildings or would some of them be coming to you? It sounds like you're able to probably put in about an extra 30% of meetings that you couldn't without COVID almost. 
balanced. You know that there's some truth to that. Uh, you know, and and obviously there's a there's a balance because I'm a relationship guy, Mike, and you build relationships better when you have first means. But we can't do that. Uh, you know, so it just takes it longer to do. But you know, I I tell you the one thing I've really been able to focus on the job. I would have been not only that, Mike, the travel would have been crazy. Okay, because there are a lot of meetings, and and right now. I'm new, so I'm really trying to get meet. I mean, I would have had, I don't know how many meetings, out-of-town travel. Uh, and, for instance, all the states, you know, have state meetings. Yeah. Already given the, the keynote, which is great. They, they, they're interested in what I have to say. Right away, I did Tri-State. It was Washington and Montana. Uh, they did it together. And then I did Tennessee with Micah Cost. And then uh, I've got on deck, I've got, not in this order, i got Iowa, Oregon, Minnesota, and they have a combined meeting for uh, Missouri and Illinois. I've got a talk I'm giving in Abu Dhabi. Uh, uh, it'll be broadcast in Abu Dhabi. I'm not giving it in Abu Dhabi. Uh, you know, so, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of, of meetings. See, I've recorded countless um, podcasts, uh, you know, with our students. I've done webinars, you know, so it's the communications part of it is is absolutely huge. And I hate to say no. You know, we got an audience that is interested in what APHA is doing. Right. Um, I'm going to try real hard to to take advantage of that. So thank you for what we're doing today. You have a bunch of stuff at night, like at 7 p.m. They're going to have this function. Are they meeting still or are they like award fate with stuff or whatever? And, you know, usually, absolutely. Now, tonight, it's what, 726 and we started at 7 and we'll go to 830. And I had another recording I did yesterday. I, I swear to God, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning, Mike. But, uh, oh, yeah, it was an interview with one of our past student national presidents and, you know, interviewed me to go in pharmacy today and, and online about leadership for students. So there's almost never a week when there's not something in the evenings. At least I'm not getting fat because a lot of times they usually be meals, you know, so I'm, I'm cutting down on calories there. Would they have something almost every night? I don't know about it. In some weeks there'd be something every night, but usually I'd say there's probably something at least once once a week, you know, where where you got to do something. Mike, it's kind of funny because the same thing happened at Cleveland Clinic. I talk a lot about leadership. I mentor a lot of people, and in it, invariably now, millennials, uh, one of the first things they always want to ask is about work life balance, you know. Yeah. And I tell them, well, um, I prefer to call it work life integration because <laughs> I call it balance. You say, oh my god, this, oh my god, this guy is. No belts, but I'm sure I have a couple of friends who aren't pharmacists. Not many, you know, <laughs> but I got relationships around the world, you know, very close. So my job, I was the chief pharmacy officer at Cleveland Clinic for nine years. That was, that's my identity. My, my life revolved around that. Fortunately, those friendships transfer. I am the CEO of APHA. I cannot separate myself from that. And I don't want it. I mean, it's, it's no, who I am. If you enjoy it, you don't want to. Yeah. You were the head of the Cleveland Clinic. You're going to be talking to hundreds of thousands of people this year, you know, talking to classes and schools and this kind of stuff. Yep. How many people heard your voice back at the Cleveland Clinic? Well, that's an interesting question. You meant this, and you, but just you know, for listeners, I'm sure they understand. I was the head of pharmacy at the Cleveland Clinic. I wasn't the head of Cleveland Clinic. Oh, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I don't like it, man. I made a lot that money, you know? Yes. Uh, but, you know, so this is interesting, Mike. Uh, you know, I wasn't looking for a job. I wasn't looking for a job when the clinic called. I wasn't looking for a job when APHA called. But one of the things I enjoyed most, and I think, you know, I, I think I did better than most, is I leverage, you know, Cleveland Clinic, they're internationally recognized and they have U.S. News and World Reports. The worst we were ever is number four 
We were number two a couple of years. They just got the ratings a month ago. They're number two. I think Mayo is number one. The, you know, Mayo has kind of been one, and there's, there's a pretty big gap. And then two, three, and four, and five, they, they, they changed. Mass General's in there, Hobby, and they all bounce around. So Toby Cosgrove was the CEO, a man I tremendously admire. Uh, he retired about two years ago at Cleveland Clinic as a physician leader. And, oh, my God, I learned about him. He's probably the best-known CEO in health systems in the last 20 years. And Toby, you know, he, he was in the media all the time because everyone, again, people want to know what the Cleveland Clinic thought. And you couldn't turn on a Sunday talk show without him talking about it. The one time I've turned on Toby Cosgrove's talking about Ebola. I'm looking, I'm like, do we have any Ebola cases? Like, no. I'm like, but he's still talking about Ebola. About it. Yeah. So Toby used to call me because someone would want to talk about drug prices. So he'd call me, I'd prep him. And then at some point, it's just like, just got taken. I got too much going on. So Toby let me, and most people can't. I mean, it takes an act of God to speak for your organization. Yeah. You know, so I was given that. I mean, not a right, but that, uh, I don't know what the right word is, that privilege, you know, uh, knowing that if I overstepped my bounds, it would be taken away. And, and, and Mike, it's kind of an interesting story. Egregious drug prices have been around for a while. And the, the first real, real example, that got a lot of media attention before Pharma Bro with Daraprem and 5,000% increase. Yes, right, right. Nitroprusside and isoproteranol, two uh, drugs that were generic. They've been around literally as long as dirt. I mean, they're just, I mean, they've been, you know, a hundred years, these things have been around. And what happened is when, when a drug is new, you know, it's brand name and they have a patent, which is good because manufacturers, you know, they know they make money. And then they have the first generic is a six month exclusivity. So prices come down a little bit and then they open it up and everybody starts making it and prices just drop. So generics have been one of the best things to bring drug costs down. But what happens is you got some predatory uh, manufacturers who they're, they're looking around, they're going, you know what? There's only one company making this. So while it's technically anyone can make it, no one's got idle manufacturing capacity, right? They're, they're yeah. making everything. They, so they'd have to stop making something, get an NDA, you know, go through, you know, spend money and time and, and ramp up. It would take a couple of years to make it. So they're basically saying we have, we have a monopoly temporarily. So they would buy that drug and jack the price up. And here it was, I don't know, I think, don't quote me. I'm, I'm not real good at quotes, but directionally I'm accurate, like 800%. And uh, so, so I got a call from Ed Silverman, who was at the Wall Street Journal at the time. And, uh, you know, it used to be media relations. They'd want, like, I got Frank on the call here to make sure I don't say something stupid. <laughs> Usually he'd be in the office so he could step on my toe, you know, but he's just virtually. <laughs> so it used to be communications that sit on that. But then, then I earned, again, the privilege to talk. And, and he called, he said, Scott, have you seen prices increase in these hospitals? And Cleveland Clinic for the last 26 years, 27 maybe, has been the number one heart hospital in the U.S. News and World Report. So it was in their cardiac drugs. So we used, we had, you know, the main hospitals, 1,300 and some beds, a big hospital, number one heart hospital. So we used probably more than any other hospital. But, and again, don't quote me. I, I said, Ed, I did the math and Jeff Rosner, my purchasing guy, got me all the number. He was my peripheral brain. And we said something like, Ed, if we use the exact same amount of nitroprusside and nitroprusside this year, as we did last year, would cost us one hospital, granted a big hospital, six and a half million dollars. Multiply that, you know, by all the hospitals. And oh, my God, that that and those guys, were they were good writers. They were actually runners up for a Pulitzer Prize in explanatory writing. Yeah, you know, so it was a really good. And it got a lot of traction. And so, Mike, when I talk about leadership to, to, to students and all, I talk about some universal truths and my residents get, you know, they give me a hard time. They call them Scottisms. But two of those are. <laughs> 
have a bias for yes, because before me and all my other CPO, chief pharmacy officer buddies, we were bitching to each other. It's like, can you believe that? We're getting screwed. We felt helpless. We couldn't do anything. Reporter calls. I'm like, oh, you know, do I want to talk to him? My, my communications person said, do you want to talk to him? I'm like, yeah, you know, let's get the story out. And, uh, and then the second part of the Scottism is have a bias for yes, and then success breeds success. So after that, oh my God, reporters saw I was in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times, every major periodical. And now my friend, Aaron Fox, who, if you've never talked to at University of Utah, is, is a genius. She's the best in the world at drug shortages. She was uh, quoted in there too. We didn't know each other were since when we came to the, the tag team. So when you asked about my reach, I actually had, with Aaron and myself and, and, and maybe Antonio Cha-Cha at the Ohio Pharmacy Association because the data, you know, he gets. And now he's more of a drug price expert by far than I am. I was one of the primary voices in the media. All over the country because yeah. you were in the news then. Yeah. And then, you know, it's interesting because one of my mentors, I don't know if you know who Bill Zelmer is. He was a, a longtime chief editor for the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy. One of the best pharmacy writers and a historian, still a close friend. I remember Bill called me after that and he said, Scott, and this is where it kind of sank. And he said, Scott, this is the first time I can remember. And Bill's been around. He's retired. He's been retired for a while. He's one of those guys that does more in retirement than most people do. And he said, this is the first time I can remember where there's a major issue about medications and it was a pharmacist instead of a physician that talked about it. So you want, you know, he said, I want to commend you because you brought pharmacy to the forefront on medication, which we're the medication experts, you know, we should be doing it. So back to the question about reach, I had a pretty big reach and, and I learned, Mike, and it's still the same. No one cares what Scott Knorr thinks. You know, I'm not full of myself. Everyone cared what the chief pharmacy officer at the Cleveland Clinic thought because it was a nationally recognized organization. Same thing at APHA. No one gives a rat's butt about what Scott, but people want to know what the chief executive officer at the American Pharmacy Association thinks. So I, with my background and my ability to sort of amplify my voice in the media, I mean, we're just going to blow it out of lock here, right? I'm going to use this pulpit to the best of my ability for the good of our patients. And uh, that's why I don't turn down a podcast or a student or a media outlet. Getting your voice up, did that get you this job? Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Again, I was I was content. I, I didn't realize, Mike, that I was kind of bored. Yeah, I got about a 10-year shelf life. I was a university <laughs> minister for the Battlefield Center. And... You know, it was a it was a fixer upper. I mean, I was the fifth director in six years. We got going running like a top, nationally recognized. The clinic called. I'm like, oh, you know, clinic calls, you answer the phone. And uh, they recruited me. And, you know, when I got there, the pharmacy department it was a decent pharmacy department. But when I left, the pharmacy department was as internationally recognized and appreciated universally as the rest of the clinic. And that was my goal. Well, you know, I mean, I went from having 11 residents to 64. I went from having 300, 285, you know, one month appy rotations with college pharmacy to 1,200 appy rotations with 27 college pharmacy. Far as we were leaders in IV robotics and, you know, it, it, and it, we opened a beautiful specialty pharmacy. But, you know, and I could have done more. I could open a five, but it's same stuff, different day, you know. Right. And I get bored and I didn't even realize I was bored when the clinic called. But here's the thing. Well, another one of my, my Scottisms when I'm talking to folks is don't forget where your paycheck comes from, right? Because a lot of people, the fun stuff is the professional organizations. Getting beaten down by the man and having budgets and having to try to cut your FTEs every year, that sucks. That's the thing that kills pharmacy chiefs more than anything because it's just the great, you build it and they try to take it away. You know, with that, you know, I tell people don't forget where your paycheck comes from because it's great to be in the media. 
It's great to be given talks all over. You know, it's great to, I got invited to the National Academies of Science to talk about drug shortages, and that's cool. But you know what? If patients didn't get their medications safely and effectively in the clinic, I, I'd lose my job. So when the clinic called, I said, don't forget your pay. Well, what if my paycheck came from what I enjoy most in the world? Yeah. That's driving the profession forward and advocating and not having anyone sort of pull the leash back, you know? Right. Um, so, and, and so... This is what it came down to, honestly. There's two things. I had to meet the board, and uh, and I thought this is of the APHA now. Yes, now they're recruiting me. They're and it starts. It starts a recruiter calls just to gauge your interest. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not looking, but I hadn't thought about that. But you know, we'll talk, and you know, and they're like, oh, damn, you know, and so they then they had uh, it was a top secret search committee, who's who of important people, and and uh, and uh, but they they intentionally didn't want to know who that was, but um. You know, I got there, I'm like, damn, you know, these are some, some heavy hitters. And then you, you get past them, and then it's the board of directors, okay? And so the board of directors hired me. And when I met them, you know, and, you know, every organization needs some change. If, the, if everything was going perfect with APHA and pharmacy, don't hire me, right? Because I'm not going to polish the, the, the windows and stuff. It's not me. It's blow it up and fix it. I mean, if you want a major overhaul, drive change, push hard, I'm your guy. So I want to make sure that my skill set was what they wanted. So I met them and they're like, we want fundamental change. We, we want what you got. It's kind of funny with some personality test, you know, you go online and take, and I'm very honest with that stuff. I'm like, if they, they got to know what they're getting, right? Because they're my bosses if they don't like it. It was funny because Brad Tice, who was the president, then Michael's the president now, he showed me when I first went to APHA headquarters, the scale. So the, here's the chart of, you know, my strengths, you know, yeah. is a line. And he said, and here's what we told, because the board all took it, what they wanted. I swear to God, you could have put that lie, that graph right over top of it. It just, it was exactly, and it's, but it just happened to be, I'm what they needed. You're the right person at the right time. At the right time for the job, right? I would not be the right person at other times. So A, is the board going to be, because I'm going to mix stuff up. I'm going to change things. And I don't want a board that's like, oh, that's too much. So meeting them, that's what they want. The other thing, I swear to God, this sounds corny, Mike, but, but I said, where can I do the most good? Okay. What platform can I impact? And to me, it's all, it's, it's about patient care. Okay. I'm a pharmacist. My lens, my getting that done is through pharmacy and pharmacy technicians. So where, cause I was doing, I think a lot of good for society and for patients and advancing practice and, you know, expanding pharmacists all over the place in different countries. And, but I thought, you know what, after I met that board, I said, there's no doubt that if I am full-time on for driving the profession, I can do more here than anywhere else in the world. I'm like, sign me up. And then I'm like, oh, you guys are going to actually pay me to do this? How cool is that? <laughs> right, right, Scott. So talking about leashes, I was attracted to your message right away when I saw something on social media and I said, this doesn't sound like what I've maybe been used to for the last 20 years. Now, granted, you know, we needed a stronger voice and that's why things have changed and that's why they hired you and so on. But I was attracted to that. I said, oh, this, this is good. And it was something where it just didn't sound like something that a president would say in terms of. Is that when I challenged Larry Merlot to a cage match? No, both CVS. CVS, making $28.5 million. Yeah. I think it was that when, I don't remember if it was that scenario, but it was something where you were going after him. Scott, that's why you and I are talking tonight, because I'm like, whoa, I got to talk to this guy. 
But here's the question. You got Frank over there who's got this leash on his stem. Yeah. How far can you go with this stuff? What could you say on social that would be too far that would get your hands slipped? Well, that's a great question. And Frank is, uh, yeah, I tease Frank. Frank's my- Oh, we look to tease Yeah, and Frank reports to me. So Frank, you know, doesn't really, I I like to exaggerate for effect. But I have 15 bosses, right? I have the board of directors that hires me can also fire me. Um, So I have to make sure I'm in line with what they're thinking. What kind of people are those made up? Oh my God, they're good, you know. I've really come to appreciate a lot of them because of the nature here. We got some entrepreneurs, you know, so Brad's done startups, pharmacogenomics companies, kind of like the, and also like the Uber of MTM, uh, Sandra Leal, uh, you know, works uh, down in Arizona for Symphonia RX. So we got entrepreneurs, uh, Teresa Toll is a pharmacy owner. Uh, Randy McDonough is a pharmacy owner. Alex Varkey is a health system executive uh, in Houston. You know, probably the most like me from my former role. You know, uh, Michael is a dean and a former pharmacy owner. But I tell you, wow, smart people, you know. They run for that position? They do. It's elected. And, you know, it's a process. You got to be involved. You got to run some committees. Then you got to be on the board or the speaker, the speaker on the board, and then you do a good job and, and you run for president. Michael, I swear to God, was born at APHA. I mean, he's got a love for it. Did amazing. I talked to him today at a meeting and he's like, I don't even know who it is. Oh, yeah, I knew I you know, was a college roommate with I mean, My God, who don't you know? You know, he knows everybody, but they're good and they want change and they're supported. Now, you got a board. Anytime you got a boss, you never want your boss to be blindsided, right? So I got 15 of them. I work primarily through my current president, but I have a call every couple of weeks with all the presidential officers. Uh, and I have broader meetings with the board. The uh, treasurer is important, you know, because of the money and uh, Greg's a great guy, uh, but it's relationships, Mike. You know, it's just like with your significant other kids or anyone, you just gotta, it's just relationships. And I had, you know, interestingly enough, I had some mentors and I, I called around and I'm like, you know, talking about yeah. job. Now I'm going to do whatever the heck I want, but I want people's advice. And and one of them, a great guy who's been uh, my mentor, especially whenever I looked at job jobs, you know, he he told me, Scott, if it was me, him, I would not take that. And he'd been done the health system thing. He'd been in industry, actually run some PBMs, big ones. And, and a smart guy, but he said, I, I would not want to report to a board, you know, because, uh, you know, lots of people get sideways with their board. And, and I thought about that because I really value his opinion. And he had great points. And I'm glad I thought about it. But I'm like, it's a relationship. It's all relationships, just like anything else. You know, I, I had a couple of them that got a little worked out when I, you know, after that, uh, I got a little worked up on Twitter and I, I had something like Larry Lucifer Merlot and, you know, <laughs> and I think I'm like, well, should I said Bill's above? You know, uh, maybe that would have been. Did you physically type this in with your own thumb or did Kathy? Kathy would not have let me type Larry so Lucifer. You, you yeah, physically tapped this in and hit the send button. Oh, I totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my God, the guy is crushing competition and you know and so in retrospect i mean it's fun to be passionate and pushing the envelope but you know you dilute your message if you're calling people names right you know so yeah and and and, you know so so but you know so i'm out there there are probably limits to what i should do i haven't quite found that uh you know that's good to hear i'm gonna test them because god knows it's fun to push you know here's the deal Einstein's definition insanity. You know what that is, Mike? You do the same thing over expecting different results. Right? That's what we've been doing in pharmacy. We don't have provider status. We're not getting paid. So the board's like, you know what? We used to be pretty nice folks around here. You know, it's like uh, Minnesota nice, you know, and 
where did that get us, right? Where did that get us? So, you know, in the AMA, I, I took on the AMA publicly because we find out uh, from from uh, our, our representatives in the PAC meeting that they're lobbying against provider status for COVID. For God's sakes, we're in a pandemic. Pharmacists, 90% of the population lives within five miles of pharmacy. You put us in code, pay us because we can't go broke. You know, we're not looking to make a bunch of money. Pay us to do COVID testing and then immunizations. Let us kick COVID's butt for you. And the AMA's behind the scenes lobbying against it. So I'm like, call them out. I'm like, guys, how can you, how can physicians say we should not? So guess what? Now, I don't know if it's because of me. I like to think so. Probably not. Uh, they went neutral. At least they say they do. And our representatives say, yeah, they're lobbyists. You don't need them to support it. You need that because they got a lot more lobbying dollars than we do. Having said that, everyone here needs to join APHA so I can out lobby the AMA. They don't need to support it. They just have to not not against, against it. it. So I'll give you an example where I learned everything I've learned is from being in Ohio with Antonio Chacha. I've seen states can do stuff. So OSMA, which is the Ohio, I don't know, the same thing, the, the local AMA version. You live in Ohio. Well, I got a house in Ohio. But, you're, but now you're living in Washington. I'm living. I got an apartment here in D.C. My my daughters remind me where we're at because I'll lose my train of thought. So let me come back to where we're talking about. I have a house in in Medina, which is just south of Cleveland. Uh, my daughter is uh, gonna in a week start her junior year at the Ohio State. My son is in his last year of pharmacy school at Neomed in Ohio. And yeah, so my wife's there, and uh, you know I get home, uh, she'll come out here, and, and but. This is not a, this is a full-time plus job, you know, so for now, and again, I don't want to be working this kind of hours, but till my daughter, till my daughter gets out, uh, I'll probably, plus I, I, I like toys, Mike, and, uh, I have a special garage outside for the extra toys and there's nowhere to put them here, you know, uh, in, in Virginia, you know, I'd have to go pretty far out to get a pole barn, you know? Yeah. All right, Scott. So back in Ohio. So that's where, that's where you've got some real mentors. Yeah. And I saw what they could do. So back to the OSMA. So I don't know. I wrote an article with Antonio and some other people on how to pass a good collaborative practice. I, I, I'm a writer. I didn't even know it, but uh, that's not, remind me to come back to writing because <laughs> that's a good yeah. too. All right. But, uh, so OSMA was adamantly opposing this expansion. It was, it was collaborative practice. It's just that uh, we could do things. Uh, it used to be we had a collaborative practice law, but it was very restrictive. You have, you're the patient, I'm the pharmacist, and Frank's the doctor, okay? Yeah. For me to do anything for your patients, I forgot who's the doctor, but, you know, I had to have the patient. The, but yeah, yeah, the the, you, me, and Frank all had to sign it. That was just for that one patient, right? So we wanted to open it up. We want to say, you know what? I got, well, I had 1,500 FEs, probably 700 more pharmacists. I want all of my pharmacists to be able to work with all the Cleveland Clinic physicians under one practice act. So I can see all their patients and the patient, you know, the doctor doesn't have to sign 800. Uh, so they were at because why is that? I mean, so, you know, they're, they're a trade organization. They primarily represent uh, independent physicians, which is a dying model, right? Because Cleveland Clinic owns how many physicians? My little brother is a internal medicine doc in Ludington, Michigan. He sold his practice because the, the bureaucracy, it's just the market, it's so difficult, you know? So OSMA was, and AMA has been opposed to expansion of practice. They, they, they don't want all the executive orders for states where they, they say nurses can do this during COVID, PAs can do this. They're like, okay, when COVID's over, we need to go back to the way we're, just, it's very territorial. Uh, you know, but the thing is, Mike, 
keep me back, bring me back in because I'm going off a tangent. No, you're there right. are not and will not. There's there was a study, and I'll get the numbers wrong, but between forty and hundred and forty thousand primary care physicians were going to be short by the year twenty thirty. Absolutely. So even if they wanted okay to take care of every they can't they you know can't. and it's interdisciplinary oh my god i love our physicians at the cleveland clinic we work together in interdisciplinary camp the, 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 the physician is the quarterback you know and they need a dietitian and a pa and nurse practitioner and they need a pharmacist uh so that the, the way of thinking is a small group but a very influential lobbying group so osma was opposed to it so what did i do i got the, the cleveland clinic every year there's a bunch of state laws so in ohio they're up and you got to say where we're going to put our resources. Toby Cosgrove, again, my, my superhero CEO physician, said, I convinced him. I gave him a PowerPoint, the advantage of the pharmacist. I said, we'll be able to improve quality, lower overall cost. He said, yes, this is the number one. I don't know what year it was, four or five years ago. Number yeah. one lobbyist. We put a lobbyist almost full time on it. And when we, found, when we found out that OSMA was, you know, being a barrier, what did I do? Well, I, I had a couple of our physicians that work with pharmacists. That were OSA members. One of them was their PAC chair. Work it from the inside. Okay, we we had physicians go to cut this before. We had a bunch of pharmacists say pharmacists should do this. It looks self serving when physicians go and say pharmacists should do it. So we used our leveraged our physician champions right to say yeah, right. You know, you're, this is bass backwards. You can't be. You know, you, we have to do interdisciplinary team care. That's where patients are better served. And OSMA went neutral. Boom, we passed it. All they had to do is go neutral. They didn't they have, just to, have to go neutral. Just have to go neutral. Just because they got so much lobbying dollars, right? With their right. With their lobbyists, high dollar, K Street, you know, all that. Um, and we got good lobbyists, but uh, Alicia Carey, she, I mean, she's outgunned. You know, I mean, there's right. there's all kinds of. Uh, so again, everyone listening to this needs to join and contribute to our pack, uh, so we can you know work with our legislators. And yeah, we're a nonprofit, but I come from the nonprofit hospital world where we like to say. No margin, no mission, right? We've right. got to make money so we can invest in uh, advocacy, in practice, and all that. You were talking about the relationships with your other leaders and so on. How much did your psychology degree at Creighton help you? Or did you go into that at first because you had this desire to affect people or the desire to know how people work? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm totally playing mind games with you right now, Mike. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a long story. I don't know what time you got. But, but so interesting. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of my story. I'll try to abbreviate it because most people knew they wanted to be pharmacists when they were like six years old, or at least when they're nice. I didn't. I, you know, honestly, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. You know, if I grow up, God only knows, you know, so I fell into this and, you know, it was that bias for us, success breeds success. But I was at Creighton. I wanted to be an army officer. Okay. Army, army officer. I was an ROTC and I'd earned a scholarship. I hadn't signed the paperwork for it yet. And uh, I wanted to be a general somewhere. I thought that would be super cool. And my fiance at the time, my wife now, she got a, a full ride scholarship from the military. She didn't want to be an officer full time. She wanted to do that you know, weekend a month, two weeks a year kind of reserve thing. So we figured I'd go active duty, she'd be reserves and, you know, we, we'd do all that. Actually, ROTC was, that, that's a side gig, which is important. But first of all, I was pre-med, okay? I, I uh, you know, my, my dad was a truck driver. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She, she went, after we all went, she was a 
uh, went and got her nursing degree and they were super supportive. You know, my dad paid a lot of money at Creighton University for four boys, but they, they weren't real good at guiding. You know what I mean? Cause they, they didn't, now my son went to the pharmacy school, like, what do I do, dad? Do this and this and this. He's like, okay. And he does it, you know? So I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, uh, I took second semester organic chemistry. And it was kind of funny because me and two of my best friends, we were, that's back when they actually had chalkboards instead yeah. of draw races. They got all the scores up there, you know, 90s stuff. There's three scores are like a 43, a 42, and a 38. We're like, oh, I wonder who those idiots are. It was me and Clark and Jeff. You know, that first does. I mean, we had the bottom three scores. We all blocked down together and, and dropped it. You couldn't do it online. We dropped it. And, and I'm, like, I'm like, screw that. I can't do chemistry. I don't want to do that. And, and I was interested in the psychology of work behavior, you know, so I, he wasn't straight psychology. I got a psychology well-rounded degree, but I was interested in, you know, you know, uh, the, the Hawthorne effect, right? I went to, you know, a factory just because they know you're studying productivity and they turn lights up, productivity increases. They turn the lights down just because, you know, so, so, you know, how to manage people and, and all that. So I thought I toyed with getting a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, but I didn't. So my, I, I managed, I had a glorious job. A uh, great mentor, uh, serial entrepreneur, uh, Mark Reaver, still a close friend of mine. He was a serial, he owned restaurants. And I lived, you know, went to Omaha, uh, Farm School, Nebraska. Valentino's is a local pizza place in, started in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he had a Valentino's pizza place. I had to do something for a year till my fiance graduated. So I, in Nebraska City, population 7,000, the home of Arbor Day and the famous Applejack Festival. Uh, you know, I, I managed a pizza place for a year. Uh, you know, so I, I've done tough jobs. I mean, that, I think I made like $18,000 a year in 1989 running a pizza place. Uh, but my, then, then, you know, my uh, wife got active duty. So I'm like, well, crap, what do we do? I'm like, well, we don't have any kids, you know, let's put in for Europe. So we put in for Germany and it was like a three-year vacation. Uh, you know, we traveled all over, but I didn't speak any German. Right. So I'm like, what am I going to, and I don't know if you have any military, you know, every military base has their own supermarket and like a little, and it's not a Walmart, BX or PX, depending on Army or, or Air Force Base. Uh, and they sold China. You know, millennials don't know what China is. You, you're, you're the demographic. You probably sure you registered for China when you yeah. got, oh, right? yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, finally, it was super expensive, hand painted in British China. And we had individual China shops on US military bases. And I got a job, uh, you know, through again relationships, a buddy I'd known since kindergarten. His wife worked, you know, she was, a, I was, I was a military dependent. I, you know, that's a little emasculating. I, I don't know my wife's social security number for, I wasn't a human. You know, I was, I was like, you know, you know but that's okay. I, yeah. I, you know, um, but I, I got a job managing the warehouse, you know, which basically was glorified. I took big boxes of China. I put them in little boxes, put UPS labels and sent them all over uh, Germany, yeah. Italy, Belgium, Greece. but I got a field promotion, you know, in the military, you're in battle. I wasn't in battle. I've never been in the military. I tried to, they kicked me up because my, my lungs, but, uh, um, the colonel gets shot. Guess what? You're the colonel, right? So it's a field promotion. So after the first Gulf War, no one could leave during the Gulf War, right? Because everyone's yeah. locked down in their bases and their husbands, mostly their husbands, it could be their wives. Everyone that worked there, except for the, the gal who was the CFO, she was Swiss married to a German guy. She, she was there full time. Everyone else was officers, uh, military wives. And so I was one of the military spouses and all of their husbands got sent home. So I'm like in charge, you know, so I'm 23 years old and I'm running, you know, it sounded like a lot of money. I think we had $20 million in sales in 1990. I had a $1.2 billion drug budget, Cleveland but it sounded like a lot of money at the time. So I, I'm, I'm 23 and I'm in charge of, you know, 
32 shops. I'm traveling all over these. It was so funny, you know, and I had, I had, a, I had a cell phone. I had a big cord in my car. I guess it was a cell phone. And I thought it was so cool. The one year, Mike, we, we had a good year of sales. We flew all of the managers to Paris and we had a management meeting and I'm, I'm in Paris. I'm 23. I got to call London, you know, in Frankfurt, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm so damn cool, you know? So it was yeah. a great, great experience. So, so then the thing was they started the glass nose perestroika. A lot of our younger audience don't know what that was, but the fall of the Soviet Union, the military presence we had in Europe was ridiculous. It's still pretty big. But the last thing I was doing, I was closing, they were closing military base. So I was closing China shops. I needed to change careers. Wedgwood, you know, they sold Wedgwood here, but they don't have individual stores. I could have been a sales rep to department stores or something. That doesn't sound very sexy. So my little brother was a pharmacist. He got his bachelor's at Creighton. He's a physician now. And, uh, he came over to see me four times in three years. I'm like, hmm, I ain't bad. You know, maybe I should be a pharmacist. I got a lot of the prerequisites out of the way. So I applied to pharmacy school from Germany really before the internet. It, it kind of technically existed. It's hard. Now you just be online and doing everything. Oh, it wasn't easy. No, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like trying to get references. I'm like, I would call my brother and he would walk down and talk to someone I had six years ago for class. But anyway, I got accepted contingent on me passing second semester organic chemistry. <laughs> Dude, it was six years since I had first semester. I didn't do very good. I walked in. I had summer class. It was short. I walked in the first day, I swear to God. And it's like they were speaking Martian. I mean, the guy's riding up the bar. I'm like, what am I going to do here? And so I followed him. I mean, he left. I'm like right behind him. I'm like, I had first semester organic six years ago. I don't understand a word you're saying. So he takes this huge textbook, my textbook. He says, you see this textbook? I'm like, yeah. I said, we're covering the second half of this textbook. I strongly recommend that you familiarize yourself with the first half. Oh my gosh. So dude, I was in the library for 12 hours a day teaching myself organic chemistry one. Wow. That first test, I got a C. I was never so happy to get a C on a test. I'm like, I am getting to be in the class. You know, uh, I, I went to bed. I know I, I was doing organic chemistry. I wake up and I'm like, my God, I was, you know, but, but you can do anything. I was younger before I didn't have the focus when you got to do it. Or it wasn't even that tough, you know? You never know what's going to happen, Mike, in life. So now my kids, my daughter, she's a great kid. Oh, my God. She's accounting major. But she's changed her major three or four. Seven. It was physical therapy that was pharmacy for a while. I got excited, you know. But And, and people are like, well, what's she going to do? And I'm like, I figured as long as you're not, whatever, smoking crack and getting arrested, you know, she's going to school. She'll figure it out. And interestingly enough, I got three brothers. And we were all the same thing. We we're first generation going to college. My older brother, um, you know, he got a mark. Wait, he went to, started going to law school at Creighton. Hated it. Super smart guy. Way smarter than I just hated it. So he quit. He got a marketing degree. Uh, he went back to engineering school. He's successful. My youngest brother uh, drank a lot of beer in college. You know, he's one of these super smart people who didn't apply himself. And, and he graduated. He passed, you know, and I, I think he got a, or a poli sci degree. It's like my type degree, you know. What did he do with that? You know, it is actually helpful. But uh, then he took the LSAT, that, that's law school test. He scored the 95th percentile and went to Georgetown for law school. He went, he joined the army just to go to the Defense Language Institute and learn Russian, you know, but he's extremely successful. You know, it used to be when I was at the clinic, we had the Cavs suite, you know, so I'd, I'd get up, brother, I'm texting, oh, I'm watching LeBron from the suite. I'd send pictures, you know, once in a while, I'd get corsets. And then he's like, oh yeah, you know, baseball. I was like, oh yeah, I'm in the pole ads. The pole ads are donors of the twins. I'm in the pole ads box. And, and then he's down on the foot, he's on the 50, on the 50 yard line, not like the seats, you know. Yeah, and then my little brother Zane, he was he worked uh, at Walgreens for a chain. Oh, Walgreens, that's where the story is. So re remember that. And uh, and he was uh, frustrated, like a lot of our chain pharmacists are. The G Ellen Gabler article, you know, chaos and chain pharmacies. Right. And he went back to uh, medical school, and he's an internal medicine physician. But 
long story short, I plan on, I knew I wanted to do leadership. I had an amazing uh, career uh, in, in, you know, I was 23 years old, had a great business opportunity. So I figured I'd go to pharmacy school and I'd manage a hundred walks, you know, cause that retail management I knew, I combined that with pharmacy. I worked at a chain uh, for a couple of weeks and said, oh, I don't like this. So I, I talked to uh, Jim Dubay was the, we didn't call him pharmacy. He was the director of pharmacy in Nebraska at the time. I'm like, oh, big academic medical center. Jim, how do you do that? He's the one that told me about two-year combined residencies and master's degrees. So I did that at Kansas, Texas, Minnesota, Cleveland Clinic. So, you know, for the listeners that don't know what they're doing, or maybe they're not where they want to be, it's okay. Just right. keep working and keep moving. Keep moving, right? I was a wrestler in high school. I was pretty good. I grew up in Iowa, the rest of the capital world. And I could have probably wrestled at some small school. I would have never wrestled you know, Iowa, Iowa State. But uh, my after my junior year, my first pneumothorax, I, I couldn't wrestle. You know, I hit a wall. I'm like, okay, well, that sucks. I can't do that. And new, another pneumothorax when I, I was going to be an Army officer. Physically disqualified. I can't do that, you know. So I got my psych degree, went to Germany. And, you know, just keep moving. It's an obstacle. Don't sweat it, you know. Just just keep going and, and you don't get down on stuff or have a little pity party for yourself. And Yeah, you got to keep going. Yeah. Scott, you're in Washington. And I say to you, Scott, you've got one year to make the biggest impact on pharmacy. Now, you can have any position you want. You can be the president. You can be the head of health and human services. You can be the head of the DEA. You can be the head of the FDA. You can be any senator. You can be any governor you want. You can be the head of APHA. You can do whatever you want. You got one year. You got to pick one job. And. You also have to do the other things with that job, too. You can't fail. You can't take part of the job and just focus on pharmacy. Which one would you pick? Which would you pick first? And then if you couldn't do that, which would you pick second? Which would you pick third? Go all the way down. I tell you right now, after my meeting uh, with the FTC, I would push them to break up the oligopolies. I think I'd be the head of the FTC. Now, you know, if the administration don't want you to, you probably can't, right? I mean, so, but... Because the oligopolies we have, we have three major PBMs that control 80-whatever percent of the market. We have the vertical integration of the health plans, owning the PBMs, owning the pharmacies, and now they're owning uh, purchasing groups. I think having competition, breaking up monopolies, getting rid of DIR fees, which are part of that problem, uh, and allowing community pharmacies to be successful. Are the DIRs, would you say that's part of the FTC? Is that kind of a monopoly thing? I, I believe it is related to the vertical integration because the PBMs own the pharmacies. And yeah, so I think, I think, you know, and that could be wrong. I'm just throwing stuff out there just for fun. But the president, oh my God, I'd be writing executive orders, right? But now the problem with writing executive orders, just like Obama did, Trump overturned all up and he's writing his own executive orders. But, but you could make an impact in the short term pretty quick. I'm going to make you nail these in as we're going here. At least for now, head of FTC or president? Oh, I'd have to be president. Just, I mean, just F because you could then direct, you could have influence over the FTC, right? Tell the FTC to do this. Number one, president. Number two, FTC. What's number three? Well, you know, I, I start looking at Congress and, oh my God, if you had one party in control, that'd be fun. You get a lot done. But right now, I mean, you know, being Pelosi and fighting with the Senate, uh, I don't know. They're, they can't get anything done. So I don't know if I'd want to be in charge of the House or Senate, quite honestly. It was one party. Yeah, like the first two years of Trump or the first couple years of Obama. Oh, yeah, it'd clearly be president then. And then it'd probably be House or Senate. I mean, flip a coin. What do they call that? The majority leader or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Majority leader, the Nancy Pelosi. And uh, what do we even call the head of the Senate? What's, what's, um, sorry, I'm in D.C. I got it. But, uh, 
The head of the Senate. President, FTC, Congress, head of that. What's next? Oh, God. You know, I don't think the FDA's got the authority they need to. I think that'd just be a tough job. That would just be hard. That you just got to like, you're just going to do stuff for them. And no one's going to be happy. Right. No one's going to be happy. You're damned if you do. You're trying to inspect. You inspect too much. They said you can't, you know, you're not allowing people to make things. Elisa Bernstein, my head of government affairs, she retired. I was 30 years of the FDA and did a great job. But I think that'd be tough. I don't think I'd want to be running the FDA. That's a no win. Everyone's going to be pissed off at you. Where does the DEA fit into that then? Well, the DEA is just enforcement. You know, they don't write laws. That's not even close to being on the list then. No, 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 because they enforce it, right? I mean, okay, you can't, you know, you're selling crack cocaine, they'll arrest you or you got morphine. But that's just, that's just, you know, uh, more law enforcement, really. President, FTC, House or Senate, FDA, what's next? Well, if it wasn't for pharmacy, I think it'd be cool as heck to be the Secretary of State, but I, I wouldn't choose that because I don't know how I could advocate for patients, but that'd just be a fun job. Secretary of State is the one that makes all the different countries. Yeah, so you'd be traveling all over, influencing, but that'd be fun. I, I wouldn't choose that because that is patient-focused, but if I want a fun government job, you know. That's not for pharmacy. No, that's not for pharmacy. What's next in line after the FDA for pharmacy? Oh, man, I, uh, I don't know. I've never thought of this before. There's nothing... Mike, I hate more than bureaucracy. I would slip my wrist before I took almost any government job because you want to talk about bureaucracy. And God love those poor people who do it. I mean, you know, but you can't get anything done. I mean, if you're if you're elected, oh my God, you know, you're taking polls every day. You know, I, I you could not make me take a government position. APHA, that's not a government position. No, no, this we're independent. We're, we are a professional association. We have nothing to do with the United States. We lobby the government, you know, because we try to change laws. So to make the most impact in Washington would... Dude, I think what I'm doing right now... That's what I'm getting at. And what you're doing right now... Yeah, yeah, there's nothing I would rather be doing than what I'm doing right now. What you're doing right now, you can make more impact as Scott for a year than the president could. I believe, if done appropriately, that that not as Scott, but as the CEO of APHA. Yeah, because no one cares what Scott thinks. It's the position. It's what you do with it. I, I honestly, Mike, I, I swear to God, I wake up every morning. I'm like, am I dreaming? You know, and I look out. I got, you know, I got an apartment here. I can see uh, the Washington Memorial in the Capitol from my bedroom window. And I'm like, wow, I am really here in this role to impact patient care. Listen, you only got one year, though, so you can't sit around and drink coffee all day and think about how lucky you are. I don't drink coffee all day. I drink for five minutes, and then I got my butt in my chair, just for the record. And then I'm there. To, it's it's 8, 8, 11 p.m., Mike, and I'm talking to you. But I just to go back and listen to the early parts. No, I know it was just five minutes. <laughs> Scott, you've only got a year. You've got a year. I know you don't, but you've got a year at CEO yep. of this, and then you're done. You've got 10 and a half months left. Or what have you been for two and a half months? Two and a half. Yeah. You got nine and a half months left. This is your only nine and a half months ever for pharmacy. If you only had these nine months left and you did not have to answer to the board then come 10 months from now, because you're already out yep. and you didn't have to answer to anybody because you're already out. And so maybe you get a little bit looser lip down the social media and maybe you ruffle a few more feathers. So what would you do in the nine and a half month to make Scott's biggest impact in the best job for pharmacy in the world? 
Okay, now for the record, I know that you've listened to me on, and followed me on social media. So, you know, I ruffle some feathers and I don't have a lot of filters. You know, that's why I don't really drink because because I got very few inhibitions when I'm sober, Mike. I probably need to keep the couple I've got, you know, so. Wait, you said really drink. You didn't say drink. You said really drink. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty loose interpretation. <laughs> but like I said, I have very few filters stone sober, so I probably need to keep this. But but I would, it, it's all about payment reform, okay? I would hammer, you know, what do I want to do long term? I need to get a data analytics center. I need what Antonio's doing so I can show the shenanigans to the FTC and everything. But it would be it would be leverage the data where farmers are doing good stuff, running, crunching numbers, hammering Congress. But not only Congress, because oh my God, it's hard. Payers just show what pharmacists do. Everyone would be at paying pharmacists to do what we're trained to do, and that's not count by fives as fast. We can't manage drive through window. It's managing your mom. You got nine months. How are you going to do that? I, I would do it. I would do it. I would. I would. I would. I would. Okay, we got a little money in the bank, right? We got a little slush fund, yeah. and uh, I'd. If the board, I'd spend it. I, 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 you know, I wouldn't build a data analytics company because I'd take the law. I'd buy it, you know, and I'd say run this, and I would work with United Health, and I would work with everyone's paying pharmacists, and I would show that you pay a pharmacist whatever one hundred twenty thousand dollars, they save five hundred thousand. Quality improves, you know, and I would, I would get every payer in the United States in nine and a half months to pay pharmacists to do what we're trained to do. United Health are they part of the three monopoly? They're well, yeah, they they do actually. They own PBM and, and uh, especially pharmacy, so they're part of the problem there. But, you know, and they get a lot of bad press. So I think one of the reasons they're paying pharmacists is they want to say, "Hey, see, we are doing some good stuff, and it's good stuff." So they started in Ohio with two pharmacies, and they're good pharmacies. But I mean, they aren't you know these super genius young folks who I mean they're regular pharmacists and. They're just doing what pharmacists do. They're saying you're on too many drugs, and you know you you, you this and there, and they they and they pay them to do that. And guess what? Their costs per member per month, which is how insurance yeah. companies care, are going down. Are they paying pharmacists more? Yes, their total costs are going down, which is what we saw at the Cleveland Clinic with, with when we have our pharmacists engaged. Our costs go down as we hire more pharmacists. All right, Scott. So you've got these nine months left, and now. In the morning, you're writing this stuff about the big three and you're calling them out and saying you're going to have a rumble in the jungle and all this kind of stuff. And now you're telling me in these nine months that you're going to sit down with them and talk about what pharmacists do and so on. Those two don't jive together. You got to yep. pick one. How, yep. how would you sit down with a guy you just told me that you're having all this fun on social media about? Yep. And it's not a rumble and jungle. I would have to. It's the thriller in Manila. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, for the record, I did, that was Ali. Ali, yeah, I think I, that's definitely Ali. And they had a couple different ones. Oh yeah, I, I, the, I was, the, I was just a little dude. My dad watched that religiously, so yeah, I, we were the ones. Yeah, we were, we were, yeah, we're the same age. All right, how do those two line up? You just said you're going to attack them, and now how are you going to sit down with them? You know what? If I got something common with my enemy that can help pharmacy and patients, I'm going to work on that. Okay, all I'm calling balls and strikes. Okay, if someone's doing something bad. I'm going to call that. We're going to talk about it in the media. If someone's doing good, so Walgreens, right? I got yeah. over 100,000 views on LinkedIn when I posted that Walgreens was given half hour luscious farmers. That's a pretty low bar, right? I mean, right. their farmers actually get to eat and they can pee rather than <laughs> not drink any coffee. You know, yeah. but okay, CBS isn't doing it, you know? Right. So, so I'm like, thank you, Walgreens. You're, you're, you know, I have a lot of pharmacists and chain pharmacies. You know, I don't like what Larry Merlot does. Now, you know, he's... My God, record profits. He's a, he's a business genius. You know, like I said, he's a, unfortunately, he's an evil genius. But 
if he's going to pay pharmacists to manage your mom's diabetes, then I love it. You know, if, if he would change his behavior and do things that are good for patients, I don't care about the past, right? I'm looking forward. I don't care what happened. And that's another thing here. I'm coming in with a clean slate. I don't care. You know, someone at APHA, they know. No one says, well, Scott, that's the way we've always done it. Oh, right. Oh, there's the door, buddy. You know, we don't talk like that, right? Right. Where are we going? And people are like, well, you know, we got all it. I have no baggage. I don't care. If we're doing things that help patients, I'm going to support that. You know, I'm going to call balls and strikes. And you could even have things where you're not only not looking at the past, but you could have somebody who the count is a ball and a strike. In other words, you like something they're doing, yep. you hate something they're doing, yep. but let's move forward on what we like doing. Exactly. You know, what helps patients, Mike? You know, it's not about me. And the other thing, Mike, I used to hold grudges. I did. I was uptight. You know what I found out? I was grumpy. You know, you yep. let the crap go. If you, you can't control this over, how do we move forward? I don't care about yesterday and I don't, I just, I, I have no time to worry about the past. I only look for it. In the nine months you'd sit down with these guys. Now you call up and you say, Hey, is Larry there? This is Scott. Can we sit down? Is this going to happen in this theoretical nine months? What I'm going to do, and, and it's probably United Health more, I'm going to get the data. I'm going to crunch the data and I'm going to say, we're going to put it in the media. We're going to say, look at all the money you're saving. They're doing it already. This Antonio is doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to spread the good work. That's, that's what I can do. I can empower people. I can expand. I can explode and help folks. He's getting paid. We're going to get national. I'm going to do this anyway. I'm not going to get done in nine months. Antonio is feeding me people from Centene. And we're going to say, let's roll this out nationally. And I'm going to tell them what a great job they're doing because they're doing a good job. Not because I'm lying. Not because I'm making it up. Because. They're paying pharmacists for the right things. United Healthcare. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and United does a lot of bad things, right? I mean, they steer to their own specialty pharmacies, and but this is good, right? So we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. So I already posted it, you know, the things they've done. We're gonna blow it up on social media. We're gonna put in the media what they're when they're really paying pharmacists for the right. Is Antonio with forty six Brooklyn? He's got a couple things. So he's uh, employed by uh, the Ohio Pharmacists Association. Uh, he's, he's their lobbyist. He created 46 Brooklyn. Uh, 46 Brooklyn is a nonprofit data company they've got. And then he's got, you know, some really smart data analysts. And he created, it's a for-profit company, Three Axis Advisors, uh, to kind of pay the bills and pay everybody. But, but they're doing God's work. You know, I'm not a particularly religious man, but the stuff they're doing is the real deal. I've never met more of a, a pharmacy patriot in my life than Antonio Chacha. He's, he's a superhero. He's my idol. I've heard great things about him. Yep. All right. So you work with you work with United Health, someone that's probably going to listen or probably meet with you in your theoretical nine months. You're still going to hammer social media. What else are you going to do in that nine months? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be working, you know, the government part of that as well. And I'm going to use that same data, right? And, and I'm going to, when they're paying pharmacists to, uh, to uh, participate in Medicaid in Ohio, I'm going to use Antonio and other people's data companies, and I'm going to hammer the hill with it, showing the success. This is out there, Mike. No one's told the story. And when they get the story, they're good storytellers, okay? I am the chief marketing officer as well as the CEO. If nobody knows about it, it didn't happen. We're going to brag about pharmacy successes. We're going to spread the word. That's, that's what I did at the Cleveland Clinic. If, if the CEO didn't know how great my team was doing, I wouldn't get any more resources. I wouldn't get more FTs. They know how good my team was. We got more resources. It's the same universal truth. How do they physically get that data? Are you going to be walking around with a sandwich billboard or what? You know, well, 
getting the data, you know, what a lot of uh, data that, that Antonio's group's gotten is publicly, uh, it's Medicaid data, but the insurers own their data and they care, right? Everyone, before COVID, you couldn't pick up any trade journal or electronically, I guess, you know, pick up journals. Everyone, what were they talking about? Big data, AI, you know, maybe robotics. That isn't going away. Okay, it got sidelined because we're all trying to work online and COVID. Yeah. Right. It's not going to wait. They're crunching the numbers, right? It's all insurance companies. They're just actuaries, right? They're trying to say, what do we need to do? Where are we going to save money? Where are we going to make money? They want their data. You know, if they can't do it, work with them, mine their data, show them what we know. You know what I'm saying? So the data is there. And they're looking, why are they going to expand in Ohio? Because they're looking at their data. They're saying, well, crap, we do save money when we pay pharmacists. So it's kind of like someone coming up to me and saying, Hey, Mike, you didn't really ask for this, but I'm going to show you exactly how you can gain 10 pounds of muscle, lose 20 pounds of fat. And I'm like, oh, well, show me. Yeah. You're not going against them. No, you, no, no. If we do this correctly, everybody's everybody's winning, including the three evil. They make money. And I don't care. I want people. I, I'm actually a capitalist. Okay. It's the unbridled oligopoly monopoly when capitalism goes bad is when there's no competition mm-hmm. what they've done they crush competition Com- prices go down when people have to compete right prices go right. up when you eliminate competition so no and I, pbms should make money they shouldn't make the hundreds of billions of dollars and suck it out of the healthcare without providing any value you know people don't have insurance but you know larry and his group are you know making huge millions of dollars and shareholders i mean i don't directly own any stock i probably own it because i have s&p index fund and right. it's got all kinds right. of stuff you know so i guess it benefits me right. uh, but i don't actually buy cbs stocks you know what i mean scott what are there either by name or by category what other monopolies are there in pharmacy that you would break up if you were the head of the ftc you know i think really the only things i've got are the vertically integrated you know oligopolies yep uh and they're the the big three the you know the break up the pbms break it up horizontally right? Uh, you can only get so big because the PBMs all buy each other. And then we, there's some little yeah. ones, there's three of them that, that own it all. Yeah. And then break it up vertically. And that's where the insurance company owns the PBM. Don't let them. They, you cannot have them integrate the whole supply chain because they just screw the public and the taxpayers. Take away these nine months. Now you've got as long as you want to, assuming you keep the board happy. How long realistically can you, and I know, you know the answer is like, well, every day we can make big success, but yep. how long do some of these things take? You think this takes a while to kind of butter up people? And from my experience, starting new jobs, it takes three years to really hit your stride. Okay. Gotcha. When I took over at Minnesota, again, good people there, lots of turnover, all kinds of problems. Took three years to get your team up to speed, to hire people, to get people in the right seats. And then you go to Cleveland Clinic, took three years. And again, getting the right people on the bus. Yeah, right. Three years, we're going crazy. You know, I'm driving like crazy. My team, I feel sorry for Frank and the rest of them. They're like, oh my God. There's no downtime. You know what I mean? The pace. I mean, they've always worked hard, but we've taken it to a new level. But you get, the, and I just hired a chief of staff. We got the right people in the right spots and we're doing crazy good stuff now. But, you know, in three years, we're going to be just hammering. And I got a shelf life, Mike. I'm a 10 year guy. I'm going to do everything I can. And after that, it just starts to be the same thing over and over. They need some fresh blood. They're like, you know, Kenor, I never want to be the guy who's you're resting on his laurels, right? So right. I was 10 years at Minnesota. I was nine years at Cleveland Clinic. I got three years of building, seven years of just kicking butt. We're going to be kicking butt these three years, but we're really going to be kicking butt for seven years. In 10 years, you're 
64. Yep. Is that the last of your 10 years or are you going to have another 10 year run in some other position or industry? You know, I never say never. And like people ask me, when I was in Cleveland Clinic, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if the right thing, it'll find me. You know, it's, it's like if the right thing is going to come up, it's, you know, I got the Cleveland Clinic. I said that. I said, I honestly believe for what I did, I had the best job, CPO at major internationally respected place, drive and practice. I loved it. I said, if I do something that's going to, because I worked at the Cleveland Clinic and some opportunity that I hadn't even thought about is going to come up. And that's what happened. So I couldn't even, now, I don't know. You know, I don't, I'm not geared to retirement. I, I'm really not. You know, I like to, some days like, oh, I'll just fish. I could fish for like three days and I'd go nuts. I see that fish behind you. Is that one of yours? Oh yeah. That, that, he's bigger than he looks, but that that's a sailfish. So, Dang. you know, when, when we started we went to the hospital in Florida, I'm not stupid, right? I went there in January or February from Ohio. And I take a little, this is a big darn fish. I, on the picture, I don't think it looks that big. What do they call that? I'm, I'm going to call it like a swordfish or a marlin. That's a sailfish. You know, this one, I got, I, I got a tarpon. And I got a sword. I got a 270 pound uh, swordfish, but that's a different story. Dang. But um, uh, I was going somewhere and you got me all sidetracked. I'm easy to sidetrack. Well, we're talking about not retiring in case something comes up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think more what I'll do is I have a couple pharmacy heroes. One of them is David Zills, and he's the health system. Uh, he was a resident at the University of Wisconsin, and then uh, he wound up being the director, and that's before chief pharmacist. He retired there. He's 80, and he does more for pharmacy. He mentors students and residents than he ever did. And he's kind of, I loved it when he said this, Mike. I'll never forget it. He said to him and, and Sarah White, who's another retired person uh, in the hospital world who's done a lot, he said, you know, Sarah, and they do this visiting leader thing. They'll they'll come and they'll talk to all your residents yeah. and try to inspire them and stuff. And he said, Sarah and I were talking one time and we agreed. We, we said we aspire to inspire until we expire. <laughs> that's good. That's so I good. think that, that's what I want to do. And, and it may not be in a paid role. It may be volunteer, maybe something, but I just can't shut it off, Mike. And it's 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 a, probably a problem. When did that kick in? for you to inspire your years at Cleveland or had you always from the start kind of wanted to kind of get people going? So have you ever taken Strength Finders, Mike? No. Common Leadership, it's a, it's a book. It's put up by Gallup who does the, and, and they said that, you know, a lot of times people try to minimize their weaknesses and I've had to do that because otherwise my weaknesses kill me. But, but this one say you take a person, you back to the psychology, you, you take a valid test and it break. I don't know how many strengths. I'll say thirty. I made yeah, that right. number up. There's thirty, and everybody probably has a little bit of everything. But you got some primary strengths, right? Yeah. And your top five is what really drive you. And they're like, maximize your strengths. I tell you, one of mine is significance, right? Yeah. And uh, and when I first read that, the definition sounds kind of icky, you know, like, oh, I want to be whatever. But what, dude, I want to be part of something bigger. I want to make an impact on the world. I am driven to make the world a better place. And I'm just wired that way. I mean, so, so that, and the rest of them were all very chief pharmacy officer stuff, you know, strategic and vision and relater. I'm a relationship guy, you know, yeah. life is about relationships. Scott, give our listeners a message. We've got a pharmacist who's maybe driving to work in the morning or someone coming home in the evening. What do you want to leave the pharmacists with? A lot of pharmacists have felt that they aren't represented by the national organizations, right? Independent pharmacists, they still got DIR fees. There's 5,000 less up than there were 10 years ago. Chain pharmacists, Ellen Gabler, you know, who called me uh, Sunday when I was at Walmart because she's doing some stuff. I can't talk about what, but, uh, you know, I, you know, 
we're here for you. And I, I tell you what, after that podcast heard around the world, I've had people join and said, oh my God, I didn't think that, that APHA cared about me as a chain pharmacist, independent pharmacist. I got a guy in Florida who, who sent me a really nice email said, I haven't been an APHA member for 20 years. I heard your podcast. I joined, we got like three membership tiers, whatever our engaged member. And I wrote a $500 pack check to your pack. I can't do it alone, Mike. Okay. No margin, no mission. I can't lobby. I can't put people in practice unless we make money. You know, the money makes the world go around. Yeah. I'm not making, you know, trying to make money for myself. The organization has to take in more revenue than it has expenses so that we can invest. So if you're not part of APHA, you're part of the problem. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, APHA doesn't do it. You know, we actually do a lot. I'm just now letting everybody know what we're doing and we're aggressively doing it a lot faster and harder. Right. So my message to that, that community pharmacist, I think that community pharmacist has already heard the message and they probably joined. But if not, you're part of the problem. Join up, fight the fight with us. We can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Let's join forces. Yeah. And, and so with that, you talked about the, the one year, all that. So I, I told my team when I got here, I said, guys, flip a coin. Either I'm going to be run out of here in six months or we are going to be successful beyond your wildest dreams. It, the jury's still out how that's going to go, but I'm having fun no matter what. Well, Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all you're doing. And let's get this done. Thank you, brother. And thanks for what you do. All right. Thanks, Scott. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes. Thank you.